This week on the show, we're going to take a look at some of the wider impacts of thrifting and reselling. We've got other reselling news from eBay, Etsy, Amazon, and more, and a pretty hefty What Sold recap. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to episode number 193 of the Galaxy CD's Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. If this is your first time ambling into the show, my name is Ryan and I am a full-time reseller, part-time YouTuber, and podcaster working out of my home here in the greater Cincinnati area. And this channel is all about the flip life. We have got a massive show this week. I've got a bunch of reselling news and a bunch of stuff that I sold, so we're just going to get right to it. use updates. So first up, a couple of articles that kind of looked at the broader impacts of reselling and thrifting on kind of what's going on at thrift stores, places that are, again, we, we've talked about this a couple times on this show, that are arguably meant for people of lower means to be able to acquire goods and how the secondhand market and the reselling market is impacting those. And this is starting to be something that is getting some traction on some of the bigger news sites, not just sites that are dedicated necessarily to reselling. So CNBC ran an article, secondhand resale is getting cutthroat as platforms such as Depop and Poshmark. Boom, the consumer culture on indie reselling platforms has shifted as more sellers compete to capture demand and more inflation-weary customers hunt for deals. So this thing is kind of getting attacked from both sides. Negotiations, bidding wars, and upselling items have become more common on digital marketplaces such as Depop and Poshmark. I talked a little bit about that last week with the kind of with taking offers and that to just go off on a little bit of a tangent. I talked about the Etsy experiments, the test beta that they're running with uh, offers. I did ultimately decide to go ahead and activate that. I currently have 984 listings uh, where I have turned on offers. I will accept offers up to 20% off my current listed price. And so far, I have not received a single notification of an offer. So <laughs> uh, we'll see how that goes. I don't I don't actually know how long that program runs, but I did opt in for that. So I will keep you posted on that. But that's one of the things that this article is talking about. Big retailers also, they note, such as Target and H&M, have been trying to get in on the hand-me-down action by launching partnerships with the online thrift store ThreadUp, which is something that we have talked about in uh, many previous episodes here. Uh, they, they talk about one particular individual in this article six months after launching his secondhand clothing shop on digital marketplace Depop back in 2020. Blake Robertson, a 15-year-old high schooler at the time, received a death threat from a customer. I, uh, you can let me know down in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. I've never had anything like that. I've had a couple of people get pretty nasty in their communication, but I've never received anything remotely like a death threat. You can let me know kind of what your worst customer experience has been as a reseller. But uh, this one came, they said, via Instagram from someone who had not received their purchase in time for Christmas. Nothing happened, they said, but I don't know. It just opened my eyes to the fact that some people, they just really want their items, he said. <laughs> 
Uh, demand for secondhand resale online has been booming since the early days of the pandemic, generating a culture shift within the indie marketplaces where it began. Customers, many of whom have been feeling the squeeze of inflation, are fiending for lower prices, leading to more heated negotiations and occasionally ruthless bidding wars. Meanwhile, independent resellers are turning their one-time hobby into a job, sometimes even upselling items to take advantage of demand spikes. Users, they note, on platforms such as Depop and Poshmark set up online shops to list vintage, secondhand, or unique items for sale and generate notable followings of loyal shoppers. Robertson is now 17, and he has 19,000 followers, uh, which is pretty impressive. So kudos to him. He's become accustomed, he says, to the uh, occasional hate message or days-long negotiation over a single item. To be sure, it says death threats against resellers are not the norm. Uh, Bo Abington, 49, says overall that she's had a really fantastic and phenomenal customers, but she's also noticed more buyers hunting for deals and has felt insulted by recent offers for her products that are sometimes left less than half her asking price. And I think I talked a little bit about that last week, and I know I've talked about it before, I am not a, a fan of the lowball offers, so I, unlike many resellers, do set minimum offer amounts. Uh, for instance, on eBay, every item I list, I put a minimum offer. I know I'm missing offers, but I'm also not dealing with a bunch of ridiculous lowball offers that I know I'm not going to accept and that, frankly, are probably not worth counter-offering. If somebody's offering you half what you're asking for, I don't do I really want to spend the time with 9,600 odd listings going back and forth with all those kind of people? Everybody's business is different. I'm not trying to give anybody any particular advice, but for my business, that that's a hard no. <laughs> I'm not interested in doing that. So I set minimums. That's why as part of the Etsy beta, I set a 20% minimum offer. Anybody that's trying to offer more or rather less of a price than 20% off I'm not even going to get notified of those. So uh, let me know again down in the comments, or you can always email me at galaxycds at gmail.com and let me know how you approach offers. But this is something uh, that is becoming more and more common, according to this. The article notes about 53% of people polled in an October 2022 Depop survey of more than 2,000 UK customers said they have been turning to secondhand shopping more in order to save money as living costs rise. The result, sellers say, is more frequent negotiations and intensified bidding wars. Uh, it's completely separate, they say, from real-world shopping because that would never happen in a store. I think people have gotten very comfortable with the whole back and forth. So this article goes on to talk a little bit more about what's going on with Poshmark as well. I will, as always, of course, link to this in the show notes and the video description below if you want to go take a look at this further. Uh, this article on Business Insider Shoppers say secondhand stores like Goodwill are getting too expensive as Gen Z makes thrifting cool. This is probably a, a twofold problem. I think resellers, us, <laughs> uh, also are having a pretty big impact on that as we kind of do Goodwill's market research for them and, and post on YouTube that we're buying this thing at Goodwill for $2 and selling it for 20 and they have started to catch on to the fact that, hey, you know what, this thing might actually be worth $20. And as I've said before, it's it's hard for me to begrudge them trying to get market pricing out of an item. But at the same time, it makes it difficult for us as resellers, number one, but two legitimate thrifters who are just out trying to find a deal and stretch their dollars as 
the market moves upward. TikTokers are complaining about high prices in secondhand stores like Goodwill and Salvation Army. Some shoppers are blaming Gen Z consumers for pricing them out of these stores. Teens often post videos of their quote-unquote thrift hauls on social media, which they then resell at a premium online. Uh, That sounds like a great plan. (laughs) Uh, That's what we do for a living here. Shoppers are complaining that the price of secondhand goods at thrift stores like Goodwill and the Salvation Army has shot up. Resellers are also commenting on this uh, regularly on Instagram and I assume probably on TikTok as well. I'm not I'm not a TikToker, but uh, they have noted in this article they blame it on wealthy teens. TikTokers have posted videos of recent trips showing hefty price tags on certain items and footage of other items that just seem to be utterly mispriced. Uh, nondescript Starbucks mugs that are $9, a set of Fiesta Wear plates for over 30 and so on. The U.S. thrift market, they note, has grown substantially in recent years, and thrifting has become a popular pursuit of Gen Z shoppers who have been credited with championing a more sustainable way to shop. This is something that ThreadUp, as we've talked about previously on this show, is really pushing as part of their marketing, is that this is a you know reuse, recycle type environment where it's good for not only business, but it's good for the good for the planet, good for the ecology and all that sort of stuff, which is something that really resonates with this younger market set. These sellers have been branded by some as scammers on social media and compared to landlords that drive up rents and force people out of affordable housing. Vox ran an article last year, which I think I referenced at the time uh, about the gentrification of thrift stores. But experts say it's not the resellers that should be blamed for the price hikes, though their hauls may be reason that secondhand shops are raising prices. They say we should look at corporate facilities even as they're classed as nonprofit organizations. That's a dubious delineation when it comes to major secondhand clothing corporations, said Jennifer Lazote, an associate, an assistant, rather, professor at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Goodwill states on their website that it aims to price donations at a fair market value based on the brand and condition of the item. Uh, They say each one runs their, they say each of their stores runs itself in various parts of the U.S. and determines their own pricing. Uh, For their part, Salvation Army Army did not comment uh, to the writers. So again, I will link to this article. You can read it at your leisure over on Business Insider. But we've talked about before on this program about the, the pricing pressure from resellers and thrifters kind of driving up the price of the raw goods at traditional retail and traditional thrift stores. And I don't, I don't see any way that this probably ends anytime soon personally, because reselling and thrifting have both as these articles, both point out kind of become more and more popular as time has gone on. I posted this uh, article over on Instagram, shameless plug at galaxy CDs rocks. Uh, Amazon and other retailers are revamping their free shipping as costs soar. Uh, There's no such thing, as we've talked about uh, many, many times, as free shipping. We all know that that cost somehow is added back into the cost of your good. It's added to the price or you're paying for Prime (laughs) uh, to get free shipping. There's no such thing as free shipping. That being said... Amazon and other retailers who use so-called free delivery to cultivate customer loyalty are scrambling to keep it from draining profits as costs climb 
and e-commerce contract. So there has been a little bit of a, a tightening of the marketplace in e-commerce. And of course, we've talked about several times how costs of shipping, costs of fuel, costs of fleets for a company like Amazon who owns a lot of their own equipment, that stuff is all going nowhere but up. And those things are squeezing the margins for these companies that uh, trained the customers to expect free shipping. They're adding fees for faster service, raising minimum purchase requirements, and making other changes that shift more costs to consumers who are already struggling with financial issues of their own. This is something that I have personally seen in my Amazon Prime account. If I'm in there shopping for something, I've seen a lot of stuff where they're trying to get me to spend $25 to get same-day delivery rather than buying the $5 item that I need and getting next-day delivery. So they're trying to increase the average size of the order to help compensate for the fact that delivery costs have increased. As I mentioned in my post over on Instagram, I stopped offering free shipping on eBay well over a year ago when the United States Postal Service announced that they were going to begin increasing media mail rates twice per year. When you build in the cost of say what what media rate shipping was for under a pound $2.75 a couple of years ago and it is now up to $3.65 I'm not trying to go in and readjust thousands of items of prices to account for those biannual increases so I just did away with free shipping altogether I price my item competitively factoring in the fact that the customer is going to pay shipping and then the shipping just automatically adjusts as the rates change. You can, again, let me know down in the comments. Are you doing free shipping uh, or are you moving away from that as well? A managing partner over at Cambridge Retail Advisors says the days of free delivery are numbered. Retailers are beginning to look more like some airlines which charge for better seating, transport transporting luggage and also restrict the use of frequent flyer points. He said it's an open secret that most retailers raise product prices to subsidize free shipping. Still, product inflation and soaring shipping costs are making the service unsustainable as the prospect of recession threatens to wallop already flagging online spending. So this article is over on Reuters and of course there will be a link to it as well. Uh, this seems like an ongoing thing that we talk about regularly. Washington prepares for war with Amazon. A multi-pronged investigation of the online giant is approaching the action phase on mergers, antitrust, privacy, and more. The Biden administration is planning to take action soon on at least three of its half dozen investigations of Amazon, moves that could lead to a blitz of litigation to rein in the iconic tech industry giant. The Federal Trade Commission has been investigating the Internet tightened on multiple fronts dating back to at least 2019, looking into its abuse of power within its online marketplace, as well as potential consumer privacy violations connected to its Ring cameras and its Alexa digital assistant. The agency is also reviewing Amazon's purchase of robot vacuum maker iRobot. Uh, any suit, of course, against Amazon would be a high profile move by the agency, uh, by Lena Khan, who is a big tech skeptic who rose to prominence with a 2017 academic paper specifically identifying Amazon as a modern monopolist needing to be reined in. Amazon, and we've talked about this previously on this show, has already been hit by local antitrust suits in Washington, D.C. and California, and coming federal cases would be the most significant challenges to the global company yet. Exact timing of any cases or settlements is unknown, but there is a lot of 
momentum, I guess you would call it, to uh, push these cases forward and to try to uh, rein in the behemoth that is Amazon. So again, I will link to this down below. There is a lot of really interesting information here about potential lawsuits over at Amazon. Etsy is putting some money, uh, not just some money, $30 million of its available cash into a special investment fund. They're putting this $30 million of its uh, available cash into a fund earmarked for investing in projects that will expand its efforts to foster economic empowerment and promote sustainability. Uh, Etsy ended 2022 with $921 million in cash and cash equivalents on hand. Adding in short and long-term investments, the number grew to $1.2 billion. So Etsy is swimming in cash. In announcing the new fund, uh, Chelsea Mosen, Etsy's Senior Director of Impact and Sustainability, said Etsy's investments through this fund align with our impact goals to help accelerate the development of the creative economy, support financially underserved communities, and promote environmental sustainability. Etsy has partnered with Impact Assets and deposited $30 million for the program at City First Bank, one of the largest black-led minority depository institutions in the nation. The new fund kicked off with investments for two organizations, Grameen America, which provides capital training and support to aspiring women business owners from low-income and marginalized communities to help create transformative economic opportunities, and Greenbacker Capital Management, which is an investment firm that catalyzes growth in renewable energy technology and connects investors with innovations aimed at reversing the climate crisis, which is something that Etsy is very focused on. Uh, if you sell on Etsy, they have a, a little note there. If you shop on Etsy, you've probably seen it too, where they attempt to do carbon offsets for all the shipping. So they're very environmentally conscious. And this is a case of them, A, putting their money where their mouth is, and B, hopefully for them, garnering some return on investment from all that cash they have laying around. <laughs> Walmart, uh, their third-party selling platform, made a big announcement. Uh, Walmart will wait for no dropshipper. They have tightened their handling time. Walmart is making it harder for dropshippers whose list on its marketplace by tightening its handling time policy. Sellers had been required to ship orders in one day unless they were granted a, quote, lag time exception by the company. On Thursday of last week, uh, they notified sellers it was in the process of removing that exception. In a letter to sellers, Walmart said merchants can request a new lag time exception, but on its website, it informed sellers that it will reject lag time requests if the items submitted are sourced from third-party vendors after a customer places an order, i.e. you do not contractually control the third-party vendor's inventory levels and processing times or B, cannot ship same or next day due to inefficiencies in your fulfillment network. Uh, one reader who forwarded this notice to e-commerce Byte said that based on the wording, he believed Walmart was targeting drop shippers specifically, who are, of course, merchants who don't actually hold any inventory. They place an order with a third, and yet another third party once an order is placed with them. So Walmart is really trying to crack down on this and prevent those people from being able to sell on that platform. This, if, if you're a drop shipper and you sell on Walmart, uh, be aware of this. This thing is coming and Walmart is uh, serious about dealing with it. They say for most sellers, no action will be required by this change, but we recommend you review your shipping methods and processes to ensure you meet your promised delivery times. So if you're a seller over on Walmart, be aware of that. 
Moving on to eBay. eBay has once again expanded their authenticity guarantee, this time adding the category of fine jewelry. Uh, They will do professional authentication, build trust with your buyers through the authenticity guarantee. Their experts will verify eligible jewelry at $500 and above. They will do verified returns. No more worrying about fraudulent returns. Every item is expected before it's sent back to you as a seller. And of course, there is no cost to you. eBay covers all costs of this authentication process. They say it's easy for you and easy for the buyer. Expert authentication you can trust. Uh, they are partnering partnering with GIA, the Gemological, Gemological. It's easy for me to say Institute of America, and they will do all of the authentication. They will do it within two business days. They will include a unique authentication card with the item, and they will do real time status updates. This uh, memo went out on Wednesday the 29th. So this is something that is brand spanking new. There is a list of all the frequently asked questions and terms and conditions if you are a seller of fine jewelry over on eBay. This is kind of cool. If you are a seller on eBay, this is not very cool. (laughs) Uh, eBay pushed out a privacy notice update last week. And as is usually the case with that, they didn't really specify what any of the changes were. They just provided a link to the uh, privacy policy, which you then had to kind of go through yourself. E-commerce Bytes has noticed that eBay has commented they can access biometric and location data of sellers. eBay informs sellers it may process their biometric data, and its new privacy notice also indicates it may be collecting location data from photos they upload to the marketplace. eBay notified users on Thursday of changes to its privacy policy that are going to affect on Friday, March 24th, which was last week. One addition added to the updated notice says, certain metadata recording the settings of your camera included in images of items you upload for sale. According to a recent article in CNET, anytime you snap a photo or record a video with your iPhone, it creates information related to the file, including the creation date and your location, and then stores this metadata within your media. CNET said someone with access to your photos can easily scour that data to identify locations and discover where you live, work, or study. Now that many users, this article notes, use their mobile phones to take product photos on their on their phones and even list directly from their mobile, which is how I do all of mine. Uh, eBay's practices may be of concern to them. Another change to the privacy notice that may concern sellers in section 5.5, eBay has added the following provisions for sellers processing of your biometric data to identify you and further prevent fraud and reduce other risks on our platform and in connection with know your customer and similar compliance requirements. While eBay doesn't say that it collects or stores such data, uh, sellers may not realize that eBay may use their biometric data for verification, fraud prevention, and compliance. Uh, Additional information is available, according to this, over on eBay as well, uh, and there is a link to that in the article. So I suppose this is probably really common stuff these days, but um, I'd really rather they didn't. Oh, man. And uh, last thing in the news, uh, some good news. Some sellers on eBay were delighted with uh, surprise shipping supplies. So it can be nerve wracking as an online seller to get a notice of an unexpected 18 pound package that it's on its way to you. But for multiple eBay sellers posting about a surprise FedEx notice, it had a happy ending. Why am I receiving a package from eBay shipping supplies? 
I just received an email from FedEx that I'm receiving an 18 18 pound package from eBay shipping supplies in Las Vegas. Looked up the address. It doesn't make any sense. Has this happened to anyone else? The tracking number is real, but I don't have any activity that could correspond to this. Uh, As it turned out, it was a promotion for eBay's new international shipping program. Supposedly, these packages included uh, little postcards and notifications on how to sign up for the service. I'm a little disappointed that I did not receive one of these packages because I, I'm sure I was one of the first people that signed up for eBay's international shipping program, uh, shifted over from GSP. I talked about it, oh gosh, probably two months ago that it, I, I noticed a significant drop in international sales and that still has not rebounded to what it was previously, but it has improved. So apparently they're kind of getting the kinks worked out of it. Um, it's still, again, nowhere near what I was doing with GSP. Uh, but uh, kudos to eBay, again, for, for trying to promote this new service to expand their business, of course, and your business as well. So uh, I guess that's cool. Uh, eBay, if you're listening, you can send me an 18-pound box of supplies anytime you would like. With all that news out of the way, man, that's a lengthy news segment. Uh, if you got something out of that, do me a favor and whack that thumbs up button. Uh, if you're not currently a subscriber to the show on YouTube or a follower of the podcast, please consider doing that as well. Uh, let's get stuck into some what sold. So this is a a pretty big recap in terms of numbers of things, but there's not anything here too major. I think the biggest sale in this whole thing is like $64 or something like that. And I, I've thought a lot about this and I wanted to go ahead and show these to kind of be a counterpoint to all of the massive sales that you see on social media. If you're on you know, TikTok or Instagram or whatever, Facebook or even YouTube, you see a lot of sellers, they're posting these massive, you know, $100, $200, $500 sales. And that is just, it's not the reality of everybody's business. Um, You know, I do, if you follow me over on Instagram, I post every weekend, you know, I do 185 110 transactions every week, the bulk of which are under $15 or $20. Occasionally, I'll have a $200 or $300 book that gets out of here, which is really cool, but I'm I'm making a really good business out of selling a bunch of relatively cheap stuff. So as I've talked about previously, there's more way than one way to skin a cat. Uh, as they say in the reselling game, there's multiple ways that you can do this. And uh, all of these sub $50 items, I guess, are just an example of ways that you can successfully make a living as a reseller without having necessarily to have those big pops. So this first item was part of my 25% off sale. I did send out an offer for an additional discount to a watcher of 10%. uh, Kevin Harvick NASCAR hockey jersey. This was a 2XL from Winner's Circle. I've had it for a long time. I picked it up for a buck uh, going back to like the thrift store thing. I, I got this actually at a thrift store, man, probably two years ago for one thin dollar. And it's been on my shelf for the longest time. I had it listed for $32.99. After all the discounts, it went for $22.24 with free shipping. All in after the shipping, I made about $8 on this. I probably wouldn't buy it again, but uh, there you go. 
something that's not a book, which is not going to be the case for most of the rest of the stuff we talk about uh, in this segment. This was a really cool piece. I picked this up at an, a garage sale a couple of years ago uh, for two bucks. Harper's Magazine, volume, I don't even know now, XLVII. If you're good at Roman numerals, you can let me know in the comments what that actually means. This was from 1873, was the issues from June through November of 1873. They were bound in kind of a hard leather binding. This thing was wrapped in like a cellophane plastic, a really, really neat piece. I thought it would sell super quick, and unfortunately, it did not. I've had it for a long, long time. I had it listed also for $32.99. It was in my 25% off sale and sold for $24.74 with free shipping, which tells you again how long it's been here because, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I haven't done free shipping in a long time. Uh, this is another book from a big purchase I did. So this is out of a lot. I own this thing for about 16 cents gold by Gina Allen. This is a first print illustrated hardcover with its dust jacket from 1964. I had it listed for $29.99, uh, with uh, customer paid shipping. It got a watcher. I sent out a 15% off offer and sold it for $25 and 49 cents. Uh, so that might be one if you're, again, if you're inclined to be looking for books while you're out, Gold by Gina Allen. If it's a 1964 first printing, um, it's not not worth bad money. First sale over on Etsy. I've got a mess of these. Uh, Waverly novels. This was volume four, The Bride of Lammermore, Montrose, and Ivanhoe. These were the Abbotsford editions. They're kind of hard leather bound from 1864. I bought these at an estate sale Probably a year and a half ago, it is a 12-volume set that ultimately I had 11 volumes of. (laughs) Uh, The set itself probably would have sold for four or $500 if it was complete, Uh, but it was one of the volumes was so badly damaged that it was just not something that I was comfortable selling. So I'm selling these individually for $27.99 plus customer paid shipping. I paid $2 a book for... 12 of them. So I had $24 in the thing. So I'm essentially broken out of it at this point after a very long wait. They're really cool old pieces from the 1860s. Again, it's an item that I thought would sell fairly quickly, uh, but they have not. This is actually the first one of these I've sold. So you will see these Waverly novels everywhere. Different versions of these from the 18 and early 1900s Um, if you can get them, you know, for a buck or something, they might be worth picking up, but they, they are, they are slow, slow sellers. These were very, very popular novels in their day, which just don't sell that well anymore. This was part of the big buy that I did. I'm into these books for about 16 cents a piece. This is a a complete collection of 12, so I'm into it for less than $2. The Reader's Digest Family Treasury of Great Biographies from 1970 and 1971. These were first edition hardcovers. They did not have their dust jackets, but the Reader's Digest, the old the treasuries and the condensed books. If you've ever seen those, the actual hardcovers are really ornate. They're very nice looking. A lot of folks sell them just as decorative pieces. This set did have some value. Uh, again, it was a complete set. I listed it for thirty-two ninety-nine or best offer plus shipping, uh, which was 
$15.55, even at media mail rate shipping. I received an offer for $28, which I went ahead and took. Like I said, I'm into them for less than 2 bucks. sold it for 28 plus the shipping. That's a deal I will take. Uh, this was a really cool old book, the 24th, is that right? Yeah, 24th edition of the United States Dispensatory from 1947. This was published by uh, J.B. Lippincott. It's a, I don't, I gotta be honest, I don't even remember what this book is about. <laughs> it was a massive book. It went in a 14 by 10 by 4 box. Very heavy. I think it weighed about 10 pounds. I've had it so long, it fell into the free shipping. So ultimately, I didn't make a ton of money on this. I had it listed for $39.99. It was in my 25% off sale. So it sold for $29.99. I bought this at an estate sale a couple of years ago for, I think, 5 bucks. So not a terrible sale, but uh, again, another one that probably wasn't quite as profitable as I would have expected. Neat old set. I think these were from the late 70s or early 1980s. How Things Work, Volumes 1 through 4. This was the, the complete set from Roger Jean Sagalat. Um, illustrated hardcovers in really nice condition. Had it listed for $34.99 plus customer paid shipping. Got a, a watcher, sent a 15% off offer out. Sold them for $29.74. I own them for $0.64 cents for the whole set. Another old medical textbook, uh, An Atlas of Surgical Techniques of Oliver H. Bears. This was from 1985. It's an illustrated hardcover. Another one that I'd had for a long, long time. I had it listed for $49.99. It was in my 25% off sale, which made it $37.49. I received an offer for $30. Because I've had it for so long, I went ahead and took that. It's not ideal. I would have liked to have made more money on it. This is another one I think I bought for about five bucks at a at an estate sale. Again, turning five dollars into thirty isn't the worst thing I'm going to do all day, but fifty would have been a lot more fun. <laughs> another sale over on Etsy: The Catholic Guide, a collection of essays on the Church's relations with society from 1917. This was a big hardcover book, measured probably eight and a half by twelve. Weighed about six pounds. This went for $32.49 on sale over on Etsy. Uh, a CD. Uh, I still, uh, hat tip to Media Picker, who is still doing really well with CDs. I still am selling through the huge lot of 8,500-odd CDs I bought several years ago. I own them for like, I don't know, I don't even know, I remember what it was now, three and a half cents, something like that a piece. Uh, this one was Nothing But a Man, the original soundtrack. Uh, it was kind of Motown. It featured Stevie Wonder, The Miracles, Mary Wells. Again, I've had it for quite some time. I had it listed for $49.99. Uh, it was in my 25% off offer, so it was $37.49. It got a watcher. I sent out a another 10% off offer and sold it for $33.74. That's pretty good from three and a half cents. I'll take that. Uh, but CDs continue to sell reasonably well. There have been several articles recently that there is some nostalgia building up again for CDs. So I'm, I'm not really ready to say that it's a, a format I would be definitely on the lookout because there's still a lot of junk out there. But there can be some winners in that uh, that media field as well. Another book over on Etsy, Lewis Carroll, Through the Looking Glass. This was from the late 1800s, uh, illustrated by John Tennille. Really cool old book. Unfortunately, not in great shape. 
in really good condition. This is probably a $60 book all day. Mine was not in really good shape, so I sold it for $34.99. It was part of a big lot that I owned for about five cents. Another CD, The Prophets of Rage. This was brand new and sealed from Uplift Music Group back in 1997. It's a rap hip-hop CD. I had never heard of these guys, also part of that big lot, so another three-and-a-half-odd-cent CD that sold for $35 on a best offer. I had it listed for 60 which, of course, would have been uh, much more to my liking, but $35 from three cents, again, is a pretty good return. This was a cool book, The Vampire's Bedside Companion, The Amazing World of Vampires in Fact and Fiction. I believe this was from the 1980s was part of a, another lot of books that I owned for about 15 cents a piece. This thing sold over on Mercari for $35 with free shipping. As I talked about previously, I build in the shipping price over on Mercari because I want to do ship on my own because Mercari still to this day does not offer media mail shipping. Part of the consignment deal I'm doing for my brother. Uh, I've talked about over the last few episodes a bunch of this old NASA literature. This was two Saturn V manned flight to the moon fold-out posters from the 1960s. These were really cool pieces. Uh, I had two of them. One customer bought both of them for $17.99 a piece. So $35.98 plus customer paid shipping on these old NASA facts. If you happen to find... Any of the old NASA newsletters, from the, especially from the Apollo era, the kind of mid-1960s to mid-1970s, they're definitely worth picking up. I have sold hundreds of dollars worth of these, so definitely be on the lookout for those. An old book from the 1940s, Basic Aircraft Construction, Plain Facts for Plain Builders from 1943. This was an illustrated hardcover. I had it listed for $44.99 plus shipping. I received an offer for $38 on eBay, which I went ahead and took. This is a book that I own for a whopping $0.16, another one out of a big lot. Uh, Another book from the same lot, First Chemistry Book for Boys and Girls by Alfred Morgan. This was from 1950. Illustrated book uh, with its dust jacket, which is always a plus. I had it listed for $44.99 plus shipping. Uh, Got a watcher, 15% off offer and sold for $38.24. Old textbooks, uh, especially pre-1970, can be pretty good. New textbooks, obviously, can be fantastic <laughs> uh, if you can find them, but they're, they're not super common. But some of these old textbooks, man, math and science, I'm, I'm on them all day long. This was also part of that lot, so another 16 center, the Advanced D&D Dungeon Master's Guide. This was from TSR Games. It was written by Gary Gygax. Uh, it was a revised edition from 1979. These things were selling for some pretty wild money. I started. I put this up on eBay at an auction starting, I think, at $19.99. It ultimately received 11 bids and closed at $52 plus shipping. So old Dungeons & Dragons stuff can bring really solid money. Uh, this was one that was not in the greatest condition, which is why I put it at auction. If it had been in great shape, I'd have probably just listed this thing for $59.99. But because it was a little rough around the edges... I put it in an auction and kind of let the market set its price, and it still got real close to the number I would have put out on it at 52 bucks. And this, I believe, is the last sale we're going to talk about this week. This was uh, two items that were purchased on Etsy, two old vintage books from both of these 
the the one was from the late 1800s the other is from the early 1900s our mutual friend by charles dickens this was an actually an undated oxford edition but based on what i could find on it it looks like very late 1800s and a girl of the limber lost by gene stratton porter this was a grosset and dunlap what was called a photoplay edition so this had pictures in the book from the photo play in the early 1900s, I think this was 1920s era, hardcover, that one actually included its dust jacket. The Dickens went for $19.99. The Limberlost went for $44.99, which made this thing like a $65 sale. The two books combined, I own for about 50 cents. So pretty sweet. But that gives you a kind of an idea of how you can make money as a reseller, not selling hundred, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred dollar items all the time. You can, as and as we have talked about on this show previously, you make your money when you make your buy. And my ability to buy these books in huge quantities for generally twenty five cents or less a piece gives me a terrific opportunity to sell a lot of books for less than 50 bucks a piece, in many cases, less than $20 a piece, and still make a terrific return on my investment. Is that business model for everybody? Absolutely not, because I spend six hours a day (laughs) uh, going through boxes of old books, trying to sort out the ones that are actually worth something from the ones that are not. The ones that are not, sometimes I will lot up and sell on lots on eBay. Sometimes I just donate them to some local thrift stores and some local free bookstores. Uh, just to get them out of my hair and just write that off as a loss again at the price I'm paying for them. It, you know, if I donate a hundred bucks, that's it's a twenty five dollar write off. It it's okay, <laughs> uh, but again, it's not a business model that's for everybody. But it is, as I said, an example of a different way that you can do this business and still be successful. So with that. I'm going to put a wrap on this episode. It ran a little bit longer than I anticipated. So thank you so much if you stuck around for the full thing. Uh, Again, if you like what you heard here today, please do me a favor if you're watching on YouTube and leave a thumbs up. If you're not a follower or a subscriber to the podcast, please consider doing that as well. With that, uh, I need a drink of water. (laughs) Uh, I hope everybody's doing well and we will catch you again next time. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.